0: Oh, praise God, praise God. You know, those that know me know that uh, I don't believe in coincidences whatsoever. Um, I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that everything that happens in life uh, is happens because God is orchestrating it. And we as human beings, we have free will. And so when I say or you hear any Christian say God is orchestrating things, God isn't overriding our free will as things are happening. We are choosing by choice uh, to to either respond to what he's asking us to do or we don't. So things don't happen just out of happenstance or just out of coincidences over the last several years. And I would say more so over the last several months, I've spoken with quite a few Christians that uh, have said, you know, my focus right now is only to do whatever it is. God is asking me to do. That is my only focus. Some of these individuals I know fairly well, and so I know some of the things that, that are going on in their lives that they share. And as I was kind of thinking about that, I said, all right, Lord, you know, these, these conversations are happening, ran, happening randomly. am like, all right, Lord, there's, there's something here to, the, to these conversations. You're not just having people say these things to me just out of the blue. And as I was listening and started thinking about some of the things that were going on in their lives, it started. I noticed that it, it happened after either some life-changing event or some sort of major tragedy took place. And I said, oh, okay, I can see that. And so I didn't think too much about it. I kind of just prayed about it. And I said, all right, Lord, if there's something there, I know you'll come back to me and come back with it. And then as I started listening to the radio and watching TV, I started hearing more and more Christians saying the same exact thing. My focus at this point in life is just to do whatever it is that God wants me to do. I wish I would have made that decision a while ago, but I didn't. So I'm doing it now. And these people didn't have any major life-changing events taking place. And so as I started really thinking about it and started praying about it, I said, all right, Lord, what are you trying to say here? And what he said to me is, I simply have a question for my children, and that is, where are you placing your treasures? Because doing God's will is something that should be a treasure for us. So the, the title of today's message is going to be, Where Are Your Treasures?, Webster's defines treasure in, in a couple of different definitions here. One of them is one that we know pretty pretty easy, and that's wealth, such as money, jewels, or precious metals stored up or hoarded, okay? Typical things that we think of when we think about treasures. Or buried treasure, you know, you think about some of those cartoons or those books where X marks the spot, and ooh, there's some sort of great treasure there. Um, in fact, there was uh, a few years ago uh, several stories of some individual that was going out and giving coordinates and locations to some pretty dangerous places around the world saying that if you can find this place you're going to find some treasure actually there and people went out and followed these things and unfortunately a lot of people ended up losing their lives uh, because they thought there was something in there buried Um, the individual didn't say what it was but people just the idea of if i can just go here and dig up whatever's under here i'm going to get some major treasure and woo, that's going to be awesome to the point where they risked their lives and unfortunately some lost their lives and i actually didn't hear of anyone actually finding an actual treasure another definition is a store of money in reserve or something of great worth or value something of great worth or value so again the question today is where are your treasures but before we start digging into the type of treasures that we should be seeking when it comes down to God we're going to lay some groundwork to look at what is the what does the word of God say actually about treasures? One of the things about this ministry for those that have attended or have listened to this podcast is we always go to the word of God because we don't want anyone to think that this is us as men speaking or individuals speaking. But we want to be able to check it with the word of God. So anyone that's listening to this by way of podcast, if you have an opportunity to pull out your Bible, go ahead and take out your Bible and follow along with us. If you're at work and you can't pull out your Bible, get a pen and paper and you can jot down some of the scriptures here and take it back uh, when you have some time, because this is not going to be me speaking and it's never going to be about me speaking. But this is going to be going straight to the word of God and seeing what God has to say about everything. So first, let's turn to James chapter four. And we're going to look at several familiar scriptures here today. And we're going to pull them apart piece by piece, so to speak, and see what God has to say about treasures. James chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1. And I'll wait for everyone to get there. Praise the living God. James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that warn your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. I'm going to pause there for a second there. Depending on the type of Bible you have, um, you might see that the title of this, uh, of this particular chapter in James actually says pride promotes strife. Or something to that effect is depending on the type of Bible you have. And so this question there, even in verse one, about where do wars and fights come from, uh, come from among you. Typically, it can be connected directly to pride. OK, now, if you remember back in, in high school, I remember, you know, the, <laughs> the kids that were getting the fights in high school and everything like that. And um, some of the guys were severely outmatched in terms of size and everything. But they continued on to get into a fight and, you know, doing a lot of talking and everything back and forth at each other because they had a big crowd around. And so instead of just turning away and just leaving it alone and not escalating the situation, that pride got in there and they started to fight. Okay. so what this is saying here is that a lot of times. When we start thinking about wars and fights, and and I'm not making any uh, political statements around wars or anything like that, so don't anyone uh, think that, okay? But when you think about some of the decisions that you make that might not be the best decisions, again, get back to the example of the kids fighting in high school, sometimes that pride can get in there and you're more focused on getting into a fight and not looking uh, like a punk or something like that um, than simply just walking away, which could be the better choice. And so even when we're making decisions in life about where are we going to seek our treasures, sometimes we do it for thinking about what is everybody else going to think of what I get as opposed to what is the right thing to do. Maybe I'm going to go buy that six bedroom, four bathroom house in there because I want all my family members and friends to see, oh, my gosh, look at how giant this house is. And in reality, all you need is a three bedroom, two bath house. So, again, where where do your treasures lie? OK, you see there in verse two, at the end there, you do you do not have because you do not ask. Continuing in verse three. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Underline all of verse three. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Underline all of this. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, typically, when we look at those scriptures, we think of friendship with the world and enmity with God in terms of our actions, right? How's the, how does the saying go when in Rome? You know, that, that whole kind of thing. So if I'm in Rome and they're doing these things, I should be doing you know, all of this stuff and acting like them. Uh, Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, both places you can go and visit, have a great time without getting into any sinful acts, um, okay? And so a lot of times we think about it as I'm making friendship with the world if I'm going out and I'm acting like the world. And the Bible says that we are uh, we, while we are of the world, while we are in the world, we are not of the world. But I can tell you that Making enmity with God by being a friend of the world isn't just based off your actions. It could very well be based off of what are the things that you are trying to gain. What are the physical, material things that you're after? Some type of worldly treasures that we might, we, uh, that, that, that we tend to go after would be money and wealth. And we know what the Bible says about money. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, which means that if my whole life I'm just thinking about how do I make more money today, more money tomorrow, and give me all this money, 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 you might have a love for money that's going to cause all sorts of issues. That's placing treasures in worldly uh, in worldly things. Some other worldly treasures that could show that we're uh, be- becoming a friend of the world and an enemy of God, if you will, is status. Okay, could be job status, could be political status, it could be social status, it could be I want to live in the the most expensive, richie neighborhood so I can have everybody looking at me and saying, "Ooh, look at me!" I may want to get that hundred thousand dollar car that the reality is I can't afford the nine hundred dollar a month payment on it. But hey, when I go down the street, everybody's going to be looking at it. It's got all these cool features and everything like that, and I don't and I don't want it because I thoroughly would enjoy that car because I like it and I want to collect it. But it's more about what everybody else is going to think of me. OK, we see it in politics also all the time when you think about political status. Um, and, and this again, this is not making a political statement. You can watch the, 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 the news and, and watch current events and you can see how some politicians are where it is. It's just all about me. Now, I'm in this political position and I have authority to be able to help people. But I choose not to because it's all about me, 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 me. I want the highest uh, position possible. It could be something as simple as video games, electronics. Okay, I love gadgets. I have my dad to thank for that. So I like to do all sorts of little automated um, items in there. And there's nothing wrong with with wanting nice things. Right. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. There's nothing wrong with wanting a big house or a nice car or anything like that. But what makes it worldly is not necessarily the object, but it's whatever is in your heart. So if it's in your heart that I'm going to go after this thing and I'm going to lust after this thing because I want to get it for my own desires, as we see there in verse three, you do not you ask and do not receive, but you you, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on on your own pleasures. If my heart is all about I want this thing to benefit me and me only and not anybody else, you could be placing your treasures in the wrong area. You could be placing your treasures in something worldly. OK, and when you start to do that, you could also then develop a um, an unnatural attachment to that object, which then could lead into some sort of idolatry. OK, idolatry is not just about worshipping something, some, some, some sort of statue or some sort of carving and trying to exalt it above God. But as you start to focus on that thing more and more and more and more, it could be pulling your attention away from God. To the point where you do anything and everything possible to obtain that item when God could be saying to you, Don't you do that. Don't you do that. Matter of fact, early this morning, I got an email about uh, something that I was looking for, and oh, hey, look at this huge sale. And I was like, Ooh, this sale doesn't happen very often. And matter of fact, the last time this sale happened, it was two weeks ago, and it was only a one day sale. And I said, nah, if it comes up again, I'll go ahead and purchase it. It came up again today, and I was looking at this, and for some reason in my spirit, I could feel, "Mm mm-mm, don't do it. I don't know why, but I'm not going to do it. I could see it in there and I want it so bad. And the prices, I mean, it's, it's an amazing price, you know, um, on the discount there. But I could feel in my spirit, don't go pursuing it. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. So I said, all right, I deleted the email and I haven't thought about it, obviously, until now, until God brought it up to me. Um, but that that's what that's what we have to be careful of. We have to make sure that we're not so focused on material things uh, that it becomes an idol or that we start obtaining these things without seeking God. And again, there's nothing wrong with having having nice things, but we have to make sure that, again, that God is is, is in there guiding us. An example that I know I see a lot because of, of where I live, I drive by um, a golf course almost just about every day, even going to work. There's a golf course off to the side there. It's not like this like clockwork. Every single Sunday, there's people out there playing golf. Every single Sunday. Okay. now, I don't know what they're doing on, you know, in terms of going to church and what their beliefs are. But driving by there, you can see there's people that are driving, going to church. You can kind of tell um, people going to church on Sunday mornings and then you see people that are on the golf course. Okay. they decide instead of going to church on Sundays, they would prefer to go to golf. Their focus is on getting every single golf club that's out there, the nicest thing. You ask them, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for birthday?" Oh, golf, golf, golf club. Nothing wrong with getting nothing wrong with playing golf. But if you're going to exalt golf uh, uh, above going to church on Sunday to hear from God, you could be running into a dangerous situation. You could be elevating that game of golf and that love of golf uh, beyond the love of God, which then would mean that you're starting to make uh, an enemy with God and becoming friends with the world. Let's look at another familiar scripture here and let's go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and we're going to go to verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things have uh, I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have triv- tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, what does this have to do with placing your treasures in the wrong areas and in the things of the world? Well, we know that life is going to be full of tribulations and trials. Right. Jesus said so on many occasions and we see it here. And he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When we get into a tribulation, though, we all get that initial, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Right. We all there's there is no one that I have ever met. uh, Not that I've met, you know, half the world or anything like that. But there's no one that I've ever met, even even the strongest of Christians, that when they've gone through a trial or tribulation, doesn't get that initial shot hit to the gut. That kind of just like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? We all get that. okay? if you don't get that or if you feel like you don't get that, um, you might not be really paying attention to what your initial reactions are. But we all get those kind of reactions. okay? when you get those reactions, though, it's all about what do you do after that? Do you go to try to find cheer in things of the world or do you try to find cheer knowing that Jesus has overcome the world? Amen. Okay. so if we so if we are if we are focusing on uh, on the things of God, when those initial reactions happen, we should be taking them to God and we should be praying about them. Sometimes what people decide to do is they'll run to the bar. I'm going to go get a drink. I don't, for those of you that are, you know, retired, I'm sure you remember this from the workplace. Uh, how many times people say, oh, what are you going to do after today? Oh, I'm going to go. I got to get a drink after this. This is ridiculous. Oh, I wish I had a bottle of this or that, you know, in my in my desk there, because things are just so hard. And so what ends up happening is they're placing their treasures in things of the world. Alcohol is not going to solve a problem that you have. Amen. A bigger house is not going to solve the problems that you have. A house on the lake or a boat, that's not going to solve the problems that you have. It's only, only, only when you take things to God and you ask God for that peace that passes all understanding, that's going to bring you that peace and that joy and that ability to get over that problem. It might very well be that, you know, my wife and I, every year we try to make a trip to the coast and we try to sit on the beach. And even if it's cold outside and raining and all of that stuff, we'll go out on the beach. And it is a peaceful experience to be out there. But it's not the water and the sand and the location that makes it peaceful. It's the fact that there's a presence of God there that we can feel that makes it peaceful. So it's not about sitting out there and saying, oh man, look at all this. I got this house on the lake and look at it. It's so beautiful and everything like that. If you don't have God's presence around you and if God isn't in you, it doesn't matter how long you look at that water or how much you sit on that boat, you are never ever going to have that peace. You're not going to feel it. I can sit 36,000 feet in the air looking out the window at the ground, knowing that, God forbid, if that plane went down, that's probably the end of it for all of us. But have peace because I can feel God's presence while I'm in that airplane. I can see his presence as I look out on the horizon and just sit there and look and say, there is no man that can design all of that. There is no man that could design these clouds. There's no man that could design these mountains. There's no man that could design. You look at everything that's, you know, like that small and you look at everything. There's no man that that can do that. Only God can. And anything that's down on that ground that was built with the hands of man all started with the thought that God placed in this in their mind. Amen. And then they took it, as I was talking about earlier about free will. They then took it and actually turned it into action. So one of the things that, again, we ta- as we're talking about where do we place our treasures? We should be placing our treasure in the in the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. Therefore, we can have peace any time that we're going through trials and tribulations. Don't put your treasures in things of the world because the world brings problems. The world will bring problems. So if I'm putting my, my, my treasures in, in things of the world, it's just going to simply bring issues. So now that we've actually started to build a little bit of a foundation here, let's start looking at what types of treasures we should be putting, putting our focus on. And let's look at what the word of God once again says about that. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter six. Praise the living God. Matthew chapter six. And, you know, going back to the earlier statement I made about um, about idols, okay, and I uh, I could feel Holy Spirit tugging at me on this for a couple so i'm going to go back to this um idols okay i said unnatural attachment to things there could also be an unnatural attachment to an individual where you start to lift them up above god and you start following them and there's there are there are folks out there that call themselves christians and what they will do is when they're studying the bible they will usually typically link it back to paul Okay, And they will talk about Paul this, Paul that, Paul that. And all the messages that you hear and all the things about how they live their lifestyle is based off of the the teachings of Paul to the point where it's dangerously close to elevating Paul to the level of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we have to be really, really, really careful about the the idol thing. Um, I remember when I was in (laughs) in elementary school, um, there was an assignment we had. And one of the questions was, who is your idol or name your idol? And I remember I looked at that and I. Got up and I went over to the teacher and I said, "Um, I don't have any idols because the Bible says you're not supposed to have idols. And the teacher looked at me and she smiled and she said, I'm really just asking you, who do you admire? I said, oh, OK. And granted, this this wasn't a, a Christian school or anything like that. That was a, This was a public school. But I remembered hearing all the things as a kid going to church and and, and listening to the things that my parents taught us. So, the, so that when I saw that, I said something doesn't sound right here. I don't have any idols and I can't have idols because my God tells me not to make any graven images, as, as I'm paraphrasing there. OK, so it's really, 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 really important that we're careful um, with not just things, but people as well. OK. It could happen if we decide to if we want to run and listen to all these great speakers or this one particular speaker all over the place and we're following them and everywhere they go. and Oh, yeah, they're going to have a great word. or There's going to be this revival there and we're following them and we're following them. If you're not careful, are you focused more on hearing a word from that individual or are you focused on hearing a word from God and letting God guide you on where it is that you need to be? Amen. And I'm not saying that whoever that individual is, isn't um, isn't being led by the Holy Spirit and isn't sticking to the Bible. uh, But you have to be really, 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 really careful. Okay, don't go chasing after an individual because you might be exalting them above God. Now, getting back to uh, where we should be putting our treasures, Matthew, chapter six, we're going to start in verse 16. Matthew, chapter six, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men as to be fasting, but to your father who's in a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Underline that in verse uh, 18 there. Uh, But to your father who has who is in the secret place. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. So, whether you're fasting or you're just thinking about your outward appearance, a question you have to ask yourself is, how do I appear to other people? Especially people that don't know me, don't know a thing about me, and they're just seeing me. How do I appear to them? Am I appearing to them as someone that is focused on uh, pleasing God? Or am I appearing to them as someone that... I'm worried about pleasing you more so than anything. I mean, how many of these award shows do you see where you got the Grammys and the Oscars and all this stuff and everybody's out there and they're taking photos of the the outfits that they're wearing. And oh my gosh, if you looked at the price tag of some of those things, I thought to myself, "Why in the world would you spend so much money on something that you're probably only going to wear once?" $3,000 for a dress. I don't think so. That is just way too much money. But again, why are they doing it? Is it because they've got all the cameras and they got all the flashes around? And Oh, that's such a great dress. Oh, that is so beautiful. Oh, you look so magnificent in that outfit. Oh, only you could wear something like that. Is that what they're looking for? Or are they thinking about how am I going to appear to God? As this is talking about here, fasting and wearing and having a sad countenance and disfiguring in their faces that they may appear to be to men to be fasting. When people do that, it's. What you inadvertently get is uh, um, kind of a, oh my gosh, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Do you need something? Do you need something? And you end up drawing the wrong attention towards yourself. And then you got to think about how is that going to look to someone that thinks about becoming a Christian? Or that may know that you're actually a Christian and you're walking out there and you've got this long, drawn out face and you can barely stand up and your clothes are all ripped. How are they going to look at you and, and think, Wait, but you said you were a Christian, right? Yeah. Why do you look so miserable? I mean, why do you look so sad and so hurt and pain? And you want me to go with you to church? Are you kidding me? Why would I go to church? Because if you look like that, I don't want to see what the pastor looks like. I don't want to see what the rest of the congregation looks like. I don't want any part of that God that you are serving that you can't go golfing with me on a Sunday to go talk to him and listen to him. And you look like this. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want any part of that. Leave me alone, please. OK, but we don't think about those things. And I say that kind of jokingly, but I have seen some Christians that will walk out, even with not even fasting, will walk. And they had kind of have that long drawn out countenance. OK, now, I'm not saying that. As a Christian, you're going to walk around with a Kool-Aid smile. You know if you guys remember that Kool-Aid commercial and he's like, yeah, you're not going to walk around with that smile on your face all the time. Uh, because if anything like me and you're deep in thought, you're probably not smiling while you're deep in thought. But as, a, as I'm walking down the street, people are still saying, hey, good morning. Hi. And they're smiling. I smile back. Oh, hey, how's it going? Kind of thing. All right. But it's because, again, if you've got God in your heart and if you're seeking after the things of God and putting your treasures in the things that God wants you to put them in then you shouldn't be walking around with a long, drawn-out countenance like that. And you should be thinking about, Lord, how am I representing you today? You think about the ambassadors that this country has that we send out to other, to other nations to do nation-building and have conversations with them. One of the things that you almost always see, especially if they're given an interview or, so, or some, some sort of press conference, is you always see uh, an American flag pinned on their lapel. There's no mistaking that that individual is there to represent the United States of America. So how are you walking out of the house every single day, representing God, knowing that we are an ambassador for him? Are you walking around with a long, sad countenance? Or are you walking out with a smile on your face and some joy in your heart because, you know, God has got your back. Continuing there in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Underline that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also also be. Whatever that treasure is, whatever that thing is that you're seeking and, and you're trying to obtain, that's where your heart is going to be. Okay? Whatever it is. You might be thirsty and you're like, oh, I need to get a drink of water. Well, guess what? Your heart is in that treasure getting that water. You might be sitting here thinking, hopefully, you're not sitting there thinking like, hmm, I'm going to get back and I'm going to get some hot wings and some pizza, watch some TV, watch some sports. If that's what you're doing during church time, then guess where your heart is? It's not on the things of God. It's on the things at home when you should be focusing on the word of God. Lay up yourselves and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth. Nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, the things that God has in store for you that He wants to give you, no man can take it from you. It's not going to decay, it's not going to rust, it's not going to be destroyed. Even if it is a physical item, because we know that God oftentimes will bless us with physical material things, because um, um, while we are on this planet and we have to deal with the the 3D world that we have, um, he will bless us with those things. And as those things start to multiply, people start to see that. And then he starts to get glorified when people start asking you questions and you start sharing your testimony. Okay, but if it's something that God has given you, it's not going to be destroyed. If it's something that you're after, well, guess what? It's probably going to get destroyed and not necessarily, you know, like destroyed in a house fire or something like that. But it might not do exactly what you intended it to do. I can remember several purchases that I've made, you know, in terms of gadgets and electronics, where I was like, oh, it's a good deal. And I know God is saying, don't do it. But I'm like, Lord, come on now. I mean, this is over 50 percent off. And, you know, I get it. And it, as soon as I pay for it, next thing you know, it's supposed to come one day. And then, oh, look at that. It hasn't showed up. Where is it? Look on the tracking. Oh, your item is delayed. I'm calling Amazon. Hey, where's my package? Oh, we're sorry, but if it's not there in a few days, give us a call back. I finally get it. No issues. But then as I start using that thing, I get headache after headache after headache after headache after headache. And I look at it and I say, you know what? I got a good deal on it, but it was, really wasn't worth it. And then I can hear God say, mm-hmm. listen to me next time before you make a purchase, no matter how small it is. OK, even if it's down to just a couple of batteries. All right, Lord, where do I go to get batteries? I go to Dollar Tree and I can get a pack of, you know, what, six double A batteries for a dollar, go to Walmart and get two double uh, A batteries for eight dollars. What should I do? <laughs> you know, I got to go to Dollar Tree anyway. I got to go pick up some cards or something. So what should I do? And I'll sit there and I'll look at him and I can't even say, don't even do that. I'm like, but do you see this price? I, mean, I see it. Leave it there. And the times that I have gotten them, what end up happening is I have to go back and buy new batteries like two months later anyway. So when you add up the cost, I ended up paying eight dollars for, I don't know, 20 batteries because they didn't last that long. <laughs> when I could have just gone to Walmart, got a name brand and wouldn't have to deal with it. OK. And now, yeah, that may sound silly to some, but that's how serious that I get when it comes down to, to the things of God. My heart at that time was in that particular treasure, if you will, which were those batteries to go into a device that I had. But I made sure that before I pursued it, I said, all right, Lord, should I be pursuing this or should I be pursuing a different one? Okay. And those batteries lasted. My device lasted. It didn't get destroyed or anything like that. It didn't rust. It didn't rust. So make sure that whatever treasures you're laying out that or understanding that when God gives you a treasure and that you're seeking it, that no one can take it from you. Okay. now you still have to take care of it. Right, you still have to, to. to to You can't just if God blesses you with a new car, you can't just say I'm not going to do the oil change on it, and then get mad at saying Lord, but you blessed me with this car. Why is it acting up this way? Well, you're at 60,000 miles and you haven't had one oil change or tire rotation. I mean, what do you expect to happen, right? You have to use some wisdom when God blesses you with these things. All right, um, so so don't think that if you're not going to take care of them, that that they may not cause some issues. You still have to take care of them. Amen. Let's continue on here looking at a little bit, some some more here. Turn to uh, Psalms chapter 37. We're familiar with this one. Psalm 37, and we're going to, let's start in verse 1. Praise the living God, where is your treasure? Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. If you don't have that underlined, go ahead and underline that. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You know, that's one of the reasons when I see things that happen, um, you know, around the world. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't worry so much about it, because if you're taking some of those issues to God and you're listening like, Lord, why is this bothering me? Why is it bothering me? Or, how is it that this individual can get away with this and they can get away with that? Or how come that this person in the workplace got a promotion and I didn't and they're doing all of these things? I could just remember that scripture where God says right there, don't fret of evildoers and don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. OK, everything is in God's hands. So don't worry about some of those things that you see. If it seems like or you feel like I'm doing all the right things, but I can't get ahead in life. And somebody else down the street, you know, they got, you know, a wife, two kids. uh, They've got a mistress on the side. They've got all these other things going on and everything like that. And they seem like they're uh, prospering. Don't worry about them because God says right there in verse two, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. In verse 3, where you see the word trust, I want you to double underline trust. Double underline it, double highlight it. In verse 4, where it says delight, double underline, double highlight that. Verse 5, where it says commit, I want you to double underline or double highlight that. And also in verse five, where it says trust, I also want you to double underline or or, and highlight that. And also in verse three, where it says dwell. We're going to look at that a little bit longer there. Notice it says, again, trust in the Lord and do good. If you have your treasures in the things of God, then that means you will trust in him and you will do good things. You will dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness because you will understand that when God puts you in a situation and he brings you into a particular land that you shouldn't be in a rush to get out of that and move on to the next thing. If I'm going to dwell somewhere, I'm not going to go there and just keep my coat on and keep my shoes on or anything like that. I'm going to take my coat off, take my shoes off and I'm going to get comfortable. Anytime I go to my parents' house, I take my shoes off, I take my coat off, hang it up. And, you know, if we're having like a, a barbecue or something like that, I know I'm going to eat some food and I'll just sit on the couch and fall asleep and, you know, get a blanket, get a pillow and do all those things because I'm going to dwell there for a period of time. OK, I'm going to dwell there. So when God brings you from wherever you are and into the place that he wants you to be, again, do not be in a rush to get out of that particular that particular location. He has you there for a reason. And he's going to feed you with his faithfulness. So if God says to you, I need you to go take this new job. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's the job I've been asking for. And you go ahead and take it. And like any job, there's going to be some things you don't like about it. And then if you're in there for a short amount of time, like, oh my gosh, I need to leave. I can't stand this. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Don't be in a rush and understand God puts you there for a reason. One, you asked for it, so he gave it to you, right? And it was in alignment with his will, so therefore you actually got it. He's got you there for a reason. Dwell there. Dwell there in that moment, in that time, in that job until he tells you otherwise, because if you're trusting in him, like it says there in verse three, okay, and you're dwelling in there, he's going to be faithful enough to sustain you as long as he needs to while you are in that particular location or while you are in that particular situation. Verse four, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So as you are in that land and you're trusting in him and you're doing good and you're doing what he's asking you to do, as you continue to seek his face, he's going to continue to respond and give you the things that you need to sustain you. He will give you the desires of your heart. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. Committing means that no matter what the circumstances are, No matter what it is you're going through, no matter how it looks, you're going to stick through it to the end. That's the difference between commitment and being interested. There's a lot of people out there that are interested in following God. There's a lot of people that are interested in the things of God, but aren't truly committed. Commitment means that no matter what, come hell or high water, I'm going to stick with you, Lord. And I'm going to go through this whole thing because you've got my back and you're going to bring me through it. So when you're thinking about the question, where are your treasures or where is your treasure? Is your treasure in a commitment to God or is it just simply an interest in God? When I go to God, when it's convenient or I do the things that he asked me to do when it's convenient versus doing the things that he's asking me to do, no matter how inconvenient it is. As you start to follow the Lord more and more and more, you'll start to worry less about how inconvenient the things are that he's asking you. And you'll start to worry more about, am I delighting myself in him? So where are your treasures? Are your treasures in delighting yourself in the Lord and committing your way to him and trusting in him? Or is your treasure in simply moving on to the thing that's going to be the easiest, the thing that's going to bring the less heartache, the thing that's going to bring the less tribulation, even when God is telling you, I need you to do this. Uh, Verse, uh, let's see, verse five again. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. So if you are committing yourself to him and you're trusting in him, then he will bring you through the situation. Anything that you might see that you say, ah, I don't know how Lord is going to how you going to work this out. He's going to he's going to work it out somehow, some way. But you have to trust in him. Verse six. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who br- uh, brings wicked schemes to pass. Underline all of verse seven if you don't have it underlined already. And double underline where it says rest and wait patiently. This again was kind of talking about what I was uh, what I was mentioning earlier. God has you in the land. Be patient. There is something that he needs to build in you. There's some skill set that he's trying to develop in you. There's a barrier that's coming that he's trying to remove. He's trying to repair you for something else. So just stay there. Be patient and let him guide you. But if you have your treasures rested in the things of God, you won't be in such a rush to move on. Let's look at another some more familiar scriptures here. Let's go to uh Matthew chapter six. This is one of my one of my favorites. Matthew chapter six. And let's see how far back do we want to go? Let's just let's go to verse thirty-one. Actually, let's just go back to verse twenty-five. Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-five, and we were here, I think, a week or so ago. Um, but there's something God's trying to say with this. Matthew chapter six, verse twenty five. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air for they uh, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you worrying can add one cubit to his stature? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need of all these things. But seek ye first, underline first, highlight it, circle it, stars, whatever it is, to make it stand out. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Some translations there you might see, seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. So in other words, if you're seeking after the things of God first and you're laying up your treasures in heaven, everything else is going to fall into place. That strained relationship that you have with a family member that you love so dearly will fall into place. That job that you've been seeking after that you feel like you're really good for you, you really look good at that will fall into place. Not being able to pay certain bills and not being able to pay any of your bills that will fall into place. All your worries and all your cares will all fall into place if you seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So when we're thinking about the question again, where is your treasure? It can be easy to look at it and say, you know, I need to go. My treasure is, is over here. I'm, I'm looking for this particular thing, but that's not bringing me any closer to God. So maybe I shouldn't get it. And it could be hard to kind of figure out, like, well, how, how would a second couch in my house actually glorify God? Right? And, you, and, and I've heard some Christians, you may think this is silly, but I've heard some Christians that will say, I don't put a lot of things into my home because it's not doing anything to glorify God. Like, well, what do you mean? Well, I only have one chair. And I have a mattress. Oh, okay. I'm not going to get anything else because why do I need that kind of stuff? I mean, I'm a Christian. Why why do I need that kind of stuff? So I just kind of listen. I don't say anything, you know, because you don't want to sound like I'm passing judgment or anything. But there are many Christians that believe that I'm not going to buy something. I'm not going to go after this. I'm not going to pursue and have goals in my life, because if I accomplish these things and I become this successful, how does this make me look in the eyes of God? But if we're seeking God's kingdom first and all his righteousness, understand that God will bless you with all those other things. So if my desire is simply to say, all right, Lord. My purpose in life on this earth is to glorify you in all things that I do and everything that I say and all the relationships that I have with people. If that's my sole purpose and my sole focus, everything else is going to fall in line. Why? Because as I'm seeking God and things are coming up that I need or that I may want, I can say, All right, Lord, ooh, that's a nice looking TV over there. We were just in Costco the other day. And we were just ooh, look at some of these TVs, beautiful TVs, great prices. If I'm seeking God first, what I'll say is, Alright, Lord, I really want that TV for my theater room. It's a great price. It's nice and thin. It'll do everything that I need it to do. And I can move some of these other TVs around. What should I do about it? He will then say either. Yes, go get it. No, don't get it. You don't need anything else. Or he may say, I've got something even better in store for you. Either way, that's not going to happen if I don't seek God first. I could get sucked into that sticker price. You know, you, you, you've you've heard us talk about here in, in the ministry about the shiny object that the devil will hold out to you. All right. It happened with Adam and Eve where where where, Eve, where he showed Eve that fruit. Oh, it was good. But she forgot quickly what God said. And then he lied to her. Oh, no, you won't die. God knows that you will be just like him, knowing good from evil. She saw it was good. A shiny object. Boom. She went and happened. And look what happened. All mankind gets thrust into sin after that. So I could have got looked at that shiny object and said, hmm. Yeah, I can go ahead and buy that now. But I said, instead, I said, oh, Lord, what should I do about this? He said, eh, just leave it alone. Don't worry about it. You don't need it right now. It's a want. You don't need it. It's a want. So when you put God's first, he'll let you know what things you actually need and what things you actually want. And then as you're praying to him and asking him for those things and you're going to be content with whatever he gives you, then what you end up doing is you show him that I'll take whatever you give me and I don't care what it is. I'll take whatever you give me. Praying for a car. Found a $500 car one time. What was it? I think two days after we were getting ready to move out of my parents' house. Okay? That thing was yeah it, it it was terrible <laughs> it was terrible, but God gave it to us, and I prayed over that thing every single day, and it gave us so many issues for a whole year driving that car. We were wondering whether or not the thing was going to die in the middle of traffic or not, going to a, a home show going up the hill, got the thing floored, and it won 't go faster than fifteen miles an hour I'm following my parents up the hill and they get out, phone rings, I pick up, my mom's like, where are you? I said, we're parking at the bottom of the hill because the car's not going to make it up there. And we, and we all laughed about it. Mind you, we also had a two-month-old at the time, a newborn baby at the time. Okay, and these things would happen. And we laughed about it, and I'm not going to say, like, you know, for that entire year we were completely joyful and everything like that. There were sometimes with that car, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just want to push this thing off a cliff. And whatever happens, happens. I don't really care. I hate this thing. You know, but God reminded me, you asked for a car, and I gave you a car. And remember what it was that Paul said, you know, in all things, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I've learned to be, be content, okay? And so even with that $500 car that was white and gray because the white paint was peeling off, that had two different size tires on the, from the front and the rear, that the A.C. didn't work, the heater didn't work for about 20 minutes when you had it on full blast. The fact that I still thank God for that, and when it gave me some issues, I laid my hands on it and prayed over it. One time, we for those of you that are familiar with Salem, Oregon, things stopped in the middle of a commercial over there by Fred Meyer. My wife was pregnant at the time, and she hopped over in the driver's seat, and I pushed it. I'm yelling, steer left, turn left, turn left, and she's turning left down. Madrona, we got traffic stopped on both sides, and it's a busy time of the day. Somebody comes out, and they help us there, and I remember getting the car to decide, and I'm like, I don't know why this thing isn't turning. I called up Les Schwab, and then I heard... Why don't you just pray over it? Oh yeah, why don't I just do this? So I lifted the hood of the car, I put my hands on the engine, which somehow the engine wasn't even hot, um, even though we've been driving it for about twenty minutes. I put my hands on the engine the hood of the, the, the engine there and prayed over it. it. said, in the name of Jesus, I, I command that you start right now. And I told my wife, I said, Go ahead, crank the crank the, the starter. Boom, started right up. Called that schwab, said, Oh, we don't need that 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 call. We don't need a car to come out and jump it. Okay. But for that whole year and 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 year after year, any time that we've needed a vehicle, I still remember that car. And it's always to the point where I say, Lord, this is what I would like in a car. Whatever you give me, I'll take every single time that I've done that. Not only has he given me what I wanted, he's given me a whole lot of extra features, not having to pay a dime more than the base than the base price. Okay. but again, it was because I was seeking him first and his righteousness and then everything else he started adding to me. So what are some type of treasures that we should focus on as we wind down here? One of the things we should focus on is developing as a a treasure, developing the gift that God has given us so that we can better serve him. We all have natural abilities and natural talents, things that we're really good at that we don't have to think about when we do them. One of the things we should do is ask God, and say, Lord, how can I use this to better serve you? I don't know how many times on Christian radio stations I've heard singers talk about how, you know, they, yeah, I can always sing. I just never thought about doing it in this capacity until I actually thought about it and said, Lord, how do I use this to serve you? And then they start making CDs and albums and singing in churches and everything like that. So finding out from Lord, from God, what is your natural? What is my natural gift and how can I use it to better serve you? We should also be looking at how we treat others. It won't do you a lick of good if you've got all of these blessings and you're treating people poorly. okay? because how you treat people is going to determine whether or not they are. See, they continue to see God a little bit more. Or if they look at it and say, you know, you might have all the nice physical things, but you treat people horribly. I don't think I want anything to do with your God, because if that's what God is like, mm -mm, I don't want anything, any part of that. So that's another treasure that we should focus on is how we treat others. We should also look at how can we serve in our ministry? Ministry could be whatever it is that God is calling you to do. It could also be in the church that you're in, that you attend regularly. There's nothing more honorable than serving God in the church environment from my perspective. Okay, because I feel like for me anyway, it's an opportunity to take the, the, the gifts that God has given me and some of the talents that I have and serve him and also help other people at the same time. So one thing we should look at, again, is how can we serve in our church or in our ministry? And this list by no means is exhaustive. Um, there's plenty of other treasures uh, uh, that we should be focused on when it comes to God. But here's a big one. Our relationship with him. Our relationship with him, because remember one of the definitions of a treasure is something that is holds value, a thing of great value or worth. So how great and how valuable and how worth worth uh, worth. What's the word I'm looking for? How great of a value is it to have God as a as a uh, have our relationship with God be nice and strong the same way you have a good relationship with friends and family members? We should be putting that as one of our top priorities is to have a good relationship with him to study his word. Okay, it's not enough to read the Bible. This is why a lot of times I try to say study the Bible, don't read the Bible, because a lot of times the reason why people don't understand the Bible is because they try to read it. And when you try to read it, you're simply just opening it up and you're going just like this line, line, left to right, left to right, left to right. That's it. When you study the Bible, you're going to break down the different verses. You're going to look for connections to other places of the Bible. And more importantly, before you actually crack the Bible open, you're going to ask Holy Spirit to come give you a, a revelation into what you're reading. That's the difference between studying and reading. And we don't have time here to to go here today, but you can jot this scripture down. uh, One Kings three verses three through 14. That is Solomon's prayer to God when he took over as king. And what he simply asked God to do was, hey, you know, you were you, you, you took care of David, my father. Now you've given you've made me king. And I don't know how to go out. I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. So you ask me what I want. Just give me some wisdom to to discern right from wrong, because you've given me all of these people that I'm in charge of. Just give me the wisdom. And what did God do? God said, "Okay, since he was happy about it, he said, I'm going to give you wisdom that no one has ever had before you and no one will ever have after you. And since you haven't asked for riches and long life, I'm going to give you that as well. So when God gives you a gift, don't misuse it. Take care of it. Make sure you're using it to bless someone else and to bless those around you. Don't use it for your own selfish desires. And God will continue to bless you with things that you couldn't even imagine, that you couldn't even dream of. So when you think so when you leave today, think about where is your treasure? Amen. Praise God. I hope this message has been a blessing to you. And now as we get prepared to close, let's honor God with our tithes and offerings.